Well, thanks, Brian. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Thank you. That's uh, <laughs> um, yeah. We we do try to try to train our kids up, but uh, it's obviously you know, as, as many of you other parents out there know, it doesn't always work out the way you uh, had hoped, and uh, not, everyth- not everything works like that at, around the Yee household, so, but thanks for those words. Um, well, all right, well, when you were younger, you probably had some dreams about what your family uh, would look like when you got older. You, you probably had some idea of what you were looking for in a spouse. You wanted someone who was attractive, someone who was competent, someone funny, someone smart. You, you were going to have kids, and you probably had some uh, dreams of some happy moments with those kids. You probably even thought about how you wanted to raise your kids. You knew that you, know, you, you wanted to do some things differently from your parents and some things you wanted to do the same. Perhaps your vision for your future family included uh, a spiritual component. Maybe, perhaps you wanted to have a, not just a happy family, but a family that cared about God, that cared about integrity, that cared about changing lives. But then you had a family of your own, and your rosy expectations of who your spouse would be or who, they, who you thought they were, well, you got a lot of those, those good things you were looking for, but there were a lot of also unexpecteds as well, Right? Life events happened, and instead of that picture-perfect family, you have something different, much more real. Your family has a lot of wonderful things that you didn't expect, but there's also these broken bits that aren't looking so good. Sometimes life just hits you, and your dreams of your family, your happy family, um, gets left behind in the snowstorm. We're going to be talking about families today because families are really, really important. It's something that's relevant for everyone. Everyone here was born into a family. You you were born to a mother and a father. Even if they're not involved in your life anymore, they once were. And many of you are married. Even if if you aren't married, you probably have some close friends or maybe you, you live with a roommate or, or some close family members as well. If you're single, you probably have a network of friends, something that you kind of think of as your family. And then, of course, everyone here has a church family. Families are the training ground for kids. Families are that safe place in the world, a place to belong. They are our, our safety net, our shelter from the world when you've had a bad day. So everyone wants a happy family, but how can you have that happy family that you always wanted and dreamed of? How can you have the happy, the healthy family relationships that are the foundation of your dreams for your family? Well, the Bible spells out several principles of Christian living that are highly applicable to family life. We're going to take a look at some of them today. Because we live in a broken world, and we are broken people, um, None of our families are going to be that shining emblem of what we hope for, what we look for, and that, you know, what a perfect family is supposed to be. But that doesn't mean that we can't get a little bit closer to that ideal. And I, I hope as we go through these ingredients to a healthy family, I hope you'll be listening in and saying, God, where do you want me, where do you want our family to change so that we can um, have the sort of family that you dream for us to have? 
So we're going to go through these ingredients. The first ingredient to a healthy family is love. Now, that's a no-brainer. Everyone acknowledges that families are supposed to be loving environments, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? And in order to have the sort of family environment that you want to have, you need to have something more than what passes for love nowadays. I think you need, you need to have something that I'm, I'm going to call Christian love. Christian love is love which fleshes itself out in action. It's one thing to say that you love and care for someone. It is another thing to actually love on them. Two different things. The book of 1 John says this, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't confuse your sentimental thoughts and your sentimental feelings of your family members with actually loving on them. Christian love is an action. Of course, you can't wait for other people in your family. If you want to have that loving environment in your family, you can't wait for other people to get loving. You need to be the one stepping forward and becoming more loving in your family. And I, I think one of the best ways to challenge your love skills is to love on your family members in new ways. And that's something I want to uh, propose for you this morning, is that you need to love on your family members in new ways. Try to love on ways, try to love on them in ways that you don't usually love on them. When you do this, you will see two things. First of all, you will see that a lot of what we, uh, you know, a lot of our loving actions that we, you know, do with our, our family members, they've become routine habits, haven't they? They've become like this dead ritual that lost its meaning a long time ago. For example, it's like this. Maybe you can resonate with this a little bit. You know, one day your spouse is doing their chore, and you see them doing their chore, and you kind of think, oh, I'd like to help them out. And so you go over there, and you help them do their chore, and, uh, and you know, they're all happy about that. And, and so then, then the next day, um, you see them doing their chore again, and you're like, oh, I love my spouse. And you go over, and you help them out, and you, you, have, you have your great time, and they feel loved and everything. And then the, then the next day, you're like, well... I kind of don't want to do the chore with them, but, um, you know, I did it the last two days, and they're going to be thinking, you know, I did it the last two days, but now I'm not doing it today. What's, what's going on? And so you think, well, I'll go. I'll help them out. I'll, 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 I'll help them with their chore. And so you help them out again, and before you know it, it's not your chore anymore, or not their chore anymore. Now it's your chore. <laughs> and, and you wonder, what, what happened here? I, I was just helping out. But our actions of love... You know, they can, they can, that can happen. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but things like that can happen in our families. Our actions of love can become habits. And don't get me wrong, loving habits are a good thing. It's good to have those in your family. It's good to love people over the long haul. But some of our habits can get to the point where they become really like a chore-like routine. And, uh, and we're not really communicating love anymore in the habit. So I want to encourage you to love in new ways. And, and I think if you do this, you will see that some of your old ways of loving have really become like those, those chore-like routines. And I think you'll also see how difficult it is to actually put people above yourself. I mean, it is, it is not natural. It is difficult. It's challenging if you're trying to do something new and, and unusual each week. That, is, that, that becomes a little bit more difficult. And I, I think what you'll find is that you'd, you'd almost rather have the routine. You'd almost rather have the obligation to do something than have to think of something new and creative every, every week. And when you feel that pull of like, man, this is difficult, just remember, that is your love muscles stretching. If you try my experiment of loving on the members of your family in new and unusual ways, you will also find that the impact 
can be quite profound. I challenged the teens to do this one week, and I was, I was very surprised by the results. Uh, they did a great job loving on their family members. And uh, here's, here's an example. One, one of the teens, um, she, she doesn't usually make dinner, but she decided she wanted to make her brother dinner. And so she made him fresh dinner, you know, I think there was like three courses, she, and it even came with a fresh-baked dessert. And when her, her brother came downstairs and saw what she had done and she explained it, he was like, he was flabbergasted. He was like, uh, and what have I done to deserve this? And she was like, nothing. I just love you. And he was like, what? <laughs> no. But so, so, so she, he was flabbergasted. Stuff like that sticks with a person, you know? And if you do this in your family, I, w- I would be surprised if you didn't get a little love back. So your love can have a big impact, but even if it doesn't have a big impact that you can see, you need to do this because your family members need this. They need this. People need love, and there's no substitute for it. Facebook friends, hearts on your Instagram pictures, if you, lots of money, fun, excitement. None of these things are, are, are ever a substitute for the love, real love that we need. There's a song that uh, plays on 104.9 The River right now. It's a pretty popular song, um, and the lyrics go like this. I look around and see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling. But on the inside, I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands, stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love. Chasing dreams. What about us? Show me you're willing to fight, that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. The song goes on to talk about the children and then the father's own need for love and leadership. And the song talks about leadership, which we're going to get into in a little bit, um, but it also highlights the need for love in our family members. I love that line, I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. I feel like that is so true to life. I feel like that, 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 have you ever been there? You've got a home filled with family members, but you still feel alone. Have you ever been there? Well, so have the the other members of your family. And that's why they need love. It's not good enough to just be under the same roof. So I'm gonna encourage you, stretch yourself this week. Stretch yourself to try to love on your family members in some new ways. Um, and I think you will see how difficult, but also how rewarding real, true, intentional love can be. The second ingredient to a healthy family is forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you've been reading your Bible at all, you've noticed that forgiveness, it gets a lot of mentions in the Bible. It is, it's a big Bible topic. And, you know, it's, it's one of the main central things in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In our families, hurts are bound to happen. They're going to happen. You know, when, when uh, my wife Katie and I were early married, um, we had a lot of friends. And, you, you know, with your early marriage, you talk, about, talk to your uh, married friends, say, oh, you know, what's married life like for you? What, what do you guys do for fun, et cetera, et cetera. And you talk about married life. And it was interesting to talk to people and kind of hear about their, uh, kind of the conflict side of their marriages. 
Several of them were like us and had a lot of fights uh, in their marriage, a lot, a lot of fights. And, but there were a few that said that they didn't really fight that much. They just, they didn't, they said, well, we have disagreements, we have small arguments, but we don't really fight, we get along pretty well. And we would think, what is wrong with you? How can, how can you have two people living under the same roof and like not fight? I mean, either, either you have some sort of sky-high emotional intelligence or like you are in denial about the frustrations in your, fa- in your marriage. You know, we just, we just thought that was very odd. Um, we, we, what we decided was, I mean, it was so odd. We decided what they were calling small arguments, we were calling fights. That it was just a terminology thing, you know. I mean, it, and so we call, we call them fights. It's not like, not like we're fist fighting. I mean, but, but you know, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a small disagreement. It doesn't feel good. In the midst of a family, hurts are bound to happen. Why? Because we are sinful people, sinful, broken people. We're living in a sinful, broken world. Now, there's this option of becoming a desert monk and living in isolation for the rest of your life, and so that, that is an option. But if you're not up for that, the only way to live in this world and have relationships in this world is to be able to use forgiveness. In this world, we will experience hurt, we will have scars, we will have wounds. Forgiveness is the balm that heals those wounds. Hurts and disagreements can divide people, but forgiveness brings them back together. It brings unity. Colossians 3.13 says this. We read this, had this read at our wedding. Um, great verse um, for family life. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone, any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The big question with forgiveness is not whether we should give, but rather how can we forgive? The definition of forgiveness that I like best is letting go of a demand for justice. Forgiveness is letting go of a demand for justice. And I like that definition, but I don't think that definition gets us any closer to knowing how to actually forgive. And I, th- I think it's because forgiveness is this very elusive thing. It's a thing of the heart. You know, it's not like you're doing something with your hands. It's like this, this, it's an action of the heart. You can say, forgive you a th- I forgive you a thousand times, but if your heart isn't in it, you know that it's just empty words, right? I mean, forgiveness, it's hard to describe. If you have something big in your life where you still need to forgive someone, you already know that's what you need to do, right? You know you need to forgive them but you probably struggle to do the actual forgiving, the real heart work. And I'm not sure one person can tell another how to do that real heart work because it is an issue of the heart. I, I think you know, the best we can do is to kind of describe what it's like, and I, I, I don't feel like I can even do a very good job of that. And what, so what I'd like to do instead is I would like to off, suggest and offer to you a way for you to learn forgiveness on your own. Uh, if you would like to learn how to forgive, but you don't, you, you, you don't know how to forgive, I would like to suggest that you begin with the small stuff. If you struggle with forgiveness, I, I suggest that you begin with the small stuff. If you practice forgiving the small stuff with your family members, then you will begin to learn how to forgive when it comes to the big stuff. What is it that, that verse that Jesus says? If you are faithful in little things then you will be faithful in the large ones. 
You need to live out that Christian lifestyle of forgiveness with your family. Don't just overlook those injuries. Actually forgive them. And then don't complain about it anymore, whether, whether in your mind or out loud. Mistakes that have been forgiven, they could be mentioned again, but not for the purpose of complaining or airing a grievance. I think if you practice forgiveness with your family members, you will be well prepared to forgive those giant-sized hurts which can be so hard to let go of. They're still going to be hard, but you're going, to have this, you're going to have some background, some skills that you've learned. Don't let time heal those wounds. Let forgiveness heal your wounds. Some wounds just do not heal with time. The third ingredient to the sort of family you want is forbearance. Forbearance. In a family, lots of hurts are going to happen, and no one has time to talk over every single little detail of of mess up. Talk over the ones you need to and forgive those, but let the little things slide. The Bible calls this forbearing, forbearing. Um, Or in our modern translations, it's just bearing. Bear with one another. Ephesians 4 says this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the... Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians says this, Real Christian love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. For me, the, the, ho- the most helpful thing um, to remember when I am uh, struggling with forbearing is to remember how forbearing God is with me. You see, God convicts me of things in my life, sin, you know, things that he wants me to change. Most of the time, it's bigger stuff, um, but can you imagine if, what it would feel like if God like, convicted us of like, every single little thing that he wanted us to change in our lives, every, every mistake? Can you imagine what that would be like? That would be miserable. God forbears a lot of our mistakes. He overlooks so much. He remembers that we're frail, that we're forgetful, that we, that we struggle to obey, that we have a tough time managing our desires. He knows that about us, and so he forbears a lot of our mistakes. He looks over so much. Psalm 86 says it well, I think. He says, it says, you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He is merciful and gracious with us. We need to have that sort of understanding with our family members. Another ingredient that is important to our families is compassion. Compassion is feeling the hurts of those who are hurting. First Peter says this, All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. The New, the new Living Translation translates this word compassion as uh, be tender-hearted. Have a tender heart. I like that. The biggest problem with compassion in our families is that we get tired of being compassionate. That's the struggle. People in our families are going to get hurt a lot. You know, it's a rough world out there, and even in a loving family, you're going to hurt each other a lot. That's just the way it is. You know how how, uh, sometimes you have that pile of stuff in your living room? You know, that you, you were going to clean it that day, but you like, didn't have time, you weren't able to clean it, so you just put it in, put it in the corner, and you're like, I'll, I'll clean that, you know, I'll clean it. And, and so you never do, and so it stays there, and then you, you, ha- you, you kind of add to it, you know, you add a few things to the pile, and, and so it, it's there in your living room, you're, you're getting used to it, and over time, you just don't even know that, that it's there anymore. It's like a piece of furniture, it's like a decoration, yeah, that's the pile over there, you know. Um, and so <laughs> you don't even feel like you have to clean it. 
It's like, a, it's like a piece of furniture. Well, people's hurts can become like furniture in our lives. We can get so used to people being hurt that we stop caring about them, caring about what their hurts are. We need to keep soft hearts that are available to be compassionate to the people in our families. And I think this especially applies um, if you have someone in your family who is chronically ill or, or chronically struggling with something. I think that's, that's, when, it gets, that's when it gets real. Uh, that's, that's tough. Pay attention to people's hurts. Don't overlook them just because, heck, it happens all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, take tender care of the weak. Another pivotal ingredient to our families is leadership. Leadership. A business needs leadership. Teams within a business need leadership. A government needs leadership. Our churches need leadership. And your family needs leadership. Since the beginning of time, whenever people have gathered together, there has been a need for leadership. Here's two quotes on leadership. A leader takes people where they would never go on their own. Here's another quote. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. Have you ever gone out to dinner with a bunch of people and uh, you cannot for the life of you figure out what you, where you're going to go out to eat and you're just like standing around and it's just this mass chaos of ideas and complaints and uh, you're just talking about these, where you're going to go out to eat and, and there's no direction. You're just standing there and it's like 15 minutes have gone by and you're still trying to figure out where are we going to go eat. You ever had that happen? That's what it's like to have no leadership. Now think of what happens when you run into a real problem. Families need leadership. So the question is, who is leading your family? Your family needs leadership, and someone has to do that the job of assessing where your family needs to go socially, spiritually, financially, morally. What, what, someone has to make those decisions about what, where, what the approach is that you're going to take to get where you need to go. So who is leading your family? My wife Katie was part of a women's Bible study um, you know, several years ago, where there were about 12 women in this Bible study, and uh, they were you know, getting together, connecting, growing spiritually. And these women, they raged the, the full age spectrum. And there were actually some, some, several of them that were kind of more spiritually mature, farther along in their Christian walk, had been Christians for many years. And eventually the leader of the group moved away, and so they needed to find a, uh, a replacement and they were all committed. All the ladies were committed to the group still, but no one wanted to be the leader. You know, they rotated leadership for a few meetings, um, and as much as they looked for a leader and kind of asked people around, they could not find anyone to lead the group. Twelve or so women, several of them farther along in their faith, and nobody wanted to lead. Eventually, Katie you know, stepped up and led the group, but, but she didn't want to do it. She just did it because no one else would. But every time she, she had to miss a group meeting, it was just tough finding someone who would happily lead the group. At the same time, I was leading a men's group, and I thought this was very interesting because if I had to miss a group, um, I, would, I would like ask guys, hey, uh, I need somebody to lead next meeting. Three hands would go up, just like that. And in fact, those guys were so happy to lead that we just rotated the leadership of the group around the group. That's, that, was, that was our experience. In your family the wife is going to play some leadership roles. In some cases, like in single mother homes, 
or in homes where the father is just not, not even taking any responsibility for the leadership role, uh, or if the father's in and out of the house. In some cases, the mother is going to play the main leadership role. But most of the time, the leadership of the family most naturally falls to the man. And I would argue, in most cases, the woman is looking to the man to lead. She doesn't want to lead. She wants him to lead. It's important to clarify that this doesn't mean that the, the wife gets no input. It doesn't mean that the, the husband goes around bossing everybody around like a tyrant. It just means that he's the one assessing where the family needs to go, and he's the one laying out the plan for how they're going to get there as a family. So if leadership is going to happen in your family, a few things must occur. First, you need to give your leader decision-making authority. And this means that sometimes you submit to the decision even if you disagree with it because you've decided to trust their leadership. It doesn't mean that there's no place for opinions and discussions. It just means that they have the decision, the ability to make decisions on behalf of the group. By the way, there's a lot of stuff here that, that is, is correlating to church family, so I hope you're taking note of that. Sometimes leaders will make bad calls. But somebody has to lead, and you've trusted this person to lead. The second thing that needs to happen is that the leader needs to step up and take responsibility for the family. This means they are looking for problems that are happening in the family, and they're catching those problems before those problems become big problems, crises. It means they're watching out for where people need to grow, what opportunities there are for people to grow personally. And they're, they're helping those people see what their next steps might be. So many families have a leadership void because the woman doesn't want to lead and the man won't take the responsibility for leadership. I mean, if you're involved in families just generally, you know that. There is a leadership void. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in America. A family without leadership is going to have chaos in the midst of major problems. So enable your leader and encourage your leader to address problems in the family and to push people forward in areas of personal growth. Our final essential ingredient to a healthy family is the presence of intervention. Many of you may be familiar with that show, Intervention, that was on A&E. You guys remember that? Uh, it's, not, it's not on there anymore, but it was this reality TV show where they would film addicts, while, uh, people who were addicted to drugs or something else, and they filled them at their lowest points, and then their families would kind of gather around them and say, oh, you know, we love you. You need to get into rehab. This really needs to happen. You know, they'd pressure them to, uh, to go to rehab. Um, so those are some pretty extreme cases. So when I use the word inter- intervention, I want you to have a toned down a picture of what I am uh, talking about here. Um, so, so Colossians 3.16 says this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. It's an interesting idea to kind of hear that in, in talking about a Christian community. We're supposed to admonish one another and applies to the family as well. You've probably heard this popular proverb, uh, Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Everyone has broken, brokenness in their lives, broken parts of their personality or habits that they have developed that are ruining their lives and ruining the lives of the people around them. For the most part, we can hide these flaws, right? We can hide them. Um, but the one place you just really can't hide them 
is in your family, in your home. If you have a character flaw, your immediate family, the members of your own household, they are going to be the first ones to see that flaw, right? So the context of the family then becomes a wonderful opportunity to see the healing power of God come and challenge us to live lives that are pleasing to him. In the family, you know, hopefully there's this, there's love happening in the family. And so any challenge, any sort of admonishing is happening against the backdrop of this, this loving environment. The presence of intervention is so important to a family. And especially, I think this especially applies to parents, you know, so listen up parents. It is very important to kind of, to use this principle in the lives of your kids. It is very common for people to slowly develop major problems in their lives. It doesn't happen all, usually, rarely does it happen all of a sudden. Usually it's a gradual thing. And you as a parent or as a family member are responsible for watching these, watching to see if something, something bad is developing. And you are in a great position to kind of point it out and head it off before it becomes a big problem. That is, that is your role as a parent, as a family member. And, and people need, your family members need you to do this for them because as problems develop in our lives, I mean, let's face it, hopefully you're honest enough to be able to say this, we're blind to them. When, when, when problems develop in our lives, slowly, gradually, we don't see them coming. We're blind to our own flaws. As a parent or as a sibling or as a spouse, that conversation is going to be awkward, Right? That is going to be an awkward conversation. They're probably going to be a bit defensive at first. They're, they're not going to like it. But the awkward conversations where you are intervening into someone's life to talk about a problem in a loving way, those conversations are going to be some of the most fruitful conversations you will ever, ever have. But you have to attend to your family. You will never know problems like this are happening if you're not paying attention to your family. And so, you know, if there's one thing that I want you to take away today, it is just that. Attend to your family. Pay attention to your family. Take advantage of the opportunities to pour out love on your family members. Protect your family from division with forgiveness and forbearance. Attend to the oversight and the direction, the leadership of your family. Watch for problems that, are, that could be developing right under your nose. Many personal problems in people's lives begin in the relationships and the dysfunctions of a family unit, right? But many personal problems also end in the graceful, loving environment of the family. Here's a cool story about why protecting your family is so important and why, why attending to it is so important. One day, my son Micah um, was playing in his room, and I decided to check in on him to see what was going on, because things were a little quiet, see what he was up to. And he had a little, little matchbox car, and he had found a small basket, and he was putting them, these matchbox cars uh, carefully into the basket. And I, I, said, I asked him what he was doing, and he said, I'm, I, I'm playing with cars, and this is their safe place for hiding, and they can look out through the holes uh, at the rest of the world. And I was curious, and so I asked him, Micah, what is, what's your safe place? And he looked up at me, and he smiled with his special Micah smile. And he said, home. 
I won't assume that our family will always feel that way for Micah because our family has broken bits just like your family does. But I sure would like that to be the case for all of our family members, don't you? Well, whether you are a leader or a follower or you don't even know who's in charge, you have a role to play. You have a role to play in your family in keeping your family that safe place called home. I've given you six ingredients, but if you look at the outline in your bulletin, that's right, there are six real things you can do this week to protect your family, to move your family forward in being that safe place called home. Attend to your family. Please stand.